0: completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way, let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Raymond is a New York Times bestselling author, and a success and investment coach. He has written more than 100, yes 100 books and has committed his life to dramatically change people's lives for the better. In the interview Raymond shares about his journey of being 100k dollars in debt before he became a tea coach and a successful businessman. He shares that he only does what he loves to do and spoke a bit of about some of his crazy adventures, including a 350 mile foot race to the North Pole. We spoke about leadership, growth, commitment, and how to have more than 24 hours in a day in this wide ranging interview. Hi Raymond, welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. And for anybody who is listening, Can you briefly begin by sharing a little bit about who you are and what do you do?
1: Okay. Well, my name is Raymond Aaron. I'm a New York Times top 10 bestselling author. I've written 147 books and every one of them came out on time and was published. I'm also the only person in the world who's ever been able to contribute to the two biggest book series of all time chicken soup and for dummies. I wrote two chicken soup books, chicken soup for the Canadian soul and chicken soup for the parent soul, which hit New York Times top 10 and branding small business for dummies. So I have lots of achievements in the business world. I've been a professional speaker for 40 years. I've given 5,000 speeches on practically every continent. I'm 78 years old and people typically underguess my age by five to 15 years. And my secret is that I do only what I love this lifetime. I love teaching and all I do is teach. I have a staff of 10 wonderful, powerful people who love working with me and for me and do all the things needed to be done. So I do just what I love to do, create new programs and then teach them.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Raymond, for sharing that. And my first reaction is that sounds almost perfect. (laughs) <laughs> but I think as we all know, every story has those elements which we don't hear. I want to listen to the backstory, right? How do you get to where you are today? 147 books are all on schedule. What's behind all of that? How did it all get
1: started? When I was in school, I was a math genius. I never got under 90% in, every, in any test or exam in my whole high school And so I went to university and took an extremely difficult maths and physics course and graduated with first-class honors just because I thought that's what I should do because I got good marks in it. And then when I graduated, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. So I got a very high paying job in maths and computers, and then I got bored and I quit and started a soft drink manufacturing company and it failed. So I ran back to a salary job in math and physics and paid off my debt. And then I got bored and quit and started a foreign car importing company. And then when that went under, I ran back, got a high paying salary job, paid off my debt, got bored, round and round that circle. I was a private eye. I owned a small chain of women's weight reducing salons. I owned a cosmetic distribution company. I tried all these businesses and they all failed. And I did extremely well as a salaried employee in math and computers, but I didn't enjoy it. Hmm. And so at age 39, I was a 39-year-old life loser. I was $100,000 in debt, completely broke. My boss had just fired me. I told my wife I got fired and she did the only thing a reasonable woman could do. She dumped me out of our marriage and I was depressed. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. At this point of my life, hundred thousand dollars in debt. I figured if I live a few more years, I'll be a million dollars in debt. Everything was going downhill. I hadn't built anything. I hadn't produced anything. If I died, then nobody would come to my funeral. I hadn't done anything. I was of no value. And then my parents invited me to come with them to Mexico to find myself. And I live in Canada. I said, well. If I'm not in Canada, maybe I'm in Mexico. Maybe I'll find myself in Mexico. Who knows? And I said it as a joke. But I was sitting on top of a Mayan ruin in the Yucatan Peninsula. It's called Chichen Itza. People probably don't know the word, but it's a pyramid. And if you saw it, you'd probably recognize it. And I was sitting on top of it, totally quiet. And I heard a voice in my head, Raymond, you're a teacher. And I said, no, I don't want to be a teacher. Because I thought teacher meant high school math earning I don't know, maybe $50,000 a year. I wanted to earn $50,000 a week. I'd never earned that, but that's what I thought I was worth. So I came down from the pyramid and I spent a year applying for jobs as a teacher and nobody wanted me because I didn't have a teacher certificate and I had no credentials and I'd never taught before. And one day I was having a party at my home, not party, like a dinner party. I had four couples over and they were asking me how I made so much money in real estate. They might be saying, I thought you said you were broke. Yeah, I made a fortune in real estate. I lost it all in the divorce and I still knew how to make money in real estate, but I was broke. And so I was telling them and they said, I have a friend who wants to learn about real estate. I said, so what? I'm not going to invite your friend for dinner. He said, why don't you rent a hotel room and give a speech on how to buy real estate? All right. And I tried it. I put a little $5 classified ad in the Toronto Star, and seven people came out, and three of them signed up for a course for that weekend, which I hadn't created yet because I figured no point creating it if no one buys it. And then suddenly three people bought it, and I had to create the course. And in the first course, there were eight people, and the second course, there were 40 people. And then before a year was out, I had 540 people in my class. It just exploded because I was meant to be a teacher. And so if you want to know how it all really got started, it's the day I found out that I was supposed to be a teacher this lifetime.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that such a personal story of yours. There are two things which I want to bring out, I think, which is not often captured in uh, traditional learning or education. One is you said you were good at maths and you were miserable at the same time. Many times we hear this language, if we have a talent, we must develop it. If we are good at something, we must capitalize on this. It's all all treating ourselves as a machine or as a tool and not really focusing on what do we really care about, right? What is it that really wants to come through us rather than like, being in that world of, of comparison? And the second thing which you mentioned later is that you just, when you rea- once you realized, you just became a teacher, right? You sold a course or you, without you having a course, so you do not have to wait for the, as much readiness or preparation as we normally think that we need a lot of uh, people when they start something new. They are in this mind space of how reading books about it, watching courses or talking to people, but there's a lot of value sometimes in just starting.
1: Yes. My rule is ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim. Because if you're ready and you just shoot, maybe you'll hit the bullseye or maybe you'll be too far to the right. Well, if you're too far to the right, then aim more to the left the next time. But if you haven't shot yet, then you have no idea where you are. Or how close you are, and you're right. Never wonder how, where will the money come from? How will I find the assistance? Where will I? Never. Once you commit, the resources come to you. Once you like miracles come to you. I'll. One when I gave my very first course, I told you I was broke, and I couldn't afford a hotel room, and a friend of mine called me and said he owns a hardware store. And when he bought it, there was this weird like space in the back. Mm -hmm. But he didn't need it for warehousing. So it was just empty. And he asked if I wanted to use it. I said, yes, I wanted to use it. And so he charged me $20, just enough for the caretaker to come and clean it up the next morning. But I needed a place to give the course and I didn't have any money. And then the place just showed up by somebody calling me. And that's what's amazing. Once you commit, the physical universe gets pushed to the side and the spiritual universe delivers to you whatever you want. And it's a miracle like you could never believe. When things line up, when things come towards you that you need. In fact, what my belief and understanding is that everything you need is racing towards you but you prevent it You do things which prevent these miracles from coming towards you by oh, like one of the things is filling your head with bad news. If you watch the news and you get all embroiled in how there's a war in Ukraine and what is this new thing called crypto and the American political system is crazy. And you know, when you get all embroiled in negativity, you prevent miracles from coming true. Why? Why would the spiritual universe want to give miracles to somebody who's all upset and negative?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's so powerful, right? Once you commit, things fall into place. Yeah, uh, yeah, and this also goes uh, so much uh, like against traditional business thinking when we, where we are taught plan A, plan B, plan C. We are always looking for the way out of the. And many times, what I have seen is. Unless we fully commit, unless we burn like all the ways of going back, we all are half-hearted. We are always taking one step forward, but we also have one step back, and that reduces the possibility of something fully meeting us and we meeting something fully. Uh, But at the same time, this is so ingrained in our culture. How do you communicate that to people? How do you show its work to people who are coming from that space? What
1: you have just said, which is really clever. Is burn plan B and plan C and plan D, because that just gives you a back door, it gives you an out, it may means that you don't have to commit. But I'm gonna add to that, and I think you'll really like it. Burn plan A. And what I mean is if you have an idea, don't make a big business plan and then go to the bank and present your business plan to the bank and ask for a loan, all that stuff. Because plan B never happens, never, ever happens. You can't know what's going to happen. You have to be able to allow chance encounters and like people calling you on a wrong number and yet you start chatting with them and they have something for you. You can't put that in plan A because that's ridiculous. So I never, ever advocate a business plan, never, ever. Because there, there are too many inhuman interactions you can't predict what's gonna to happen to you next. Now, if you're doing an enterprise that doesn't have any human interactions, let's say an auto body shop. So Summit pranks his car a bit, takes it to an auto body shop, and the guy there says, okay, Summit, it's gonna cost you $3,291.14, and it'll be ready a week Thursday at noon. The way he can do that plan A, is there's no human interactions. He receives the delivery of the body parts and he does all the welding and fixing and screwing and hammering and it's done. But when there's people involved, you never know. People sometimes disobey you. They sometimes slack off. They call in sick when you know darn well they're not sick or they bring in who leapfrogs you over two or three obstacles and suddenly you're several months ahead of your plan than you ever thought you would be. So don't. Not only should you burn plan B and C, which I really love, I'd never heard that before, but I say you should burn plan A and just go for it. Ready,
0: fire, aim, just go for it. Just jump into it. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's refreshing. And uh, I love how you separated out where people are involved and where something is very mechanical or where it can be done without people involvement. But I'm going to play the skeptic here, right? Okay. Okay. How, where does intention play a role here? If I want to grow my company If I want to set a direction, how does that play in with spontaneity, with being open for all of that? It's wonderful to have goals. It's
1: wonderful to have intentions because that's the fuel of the soul. Goals are the fuel of the soul. If you want something, if you say, I'm just in Canada and I want to expand to the United States, or I'm just a one-man show and I want to have four employees so I can... Deliver more value to my customers. Whatever it is, you'll look for it. You'll find opportunities. People will show up and that'll feed your soul. But if you try to forecast it, if you say, by week one, I'll have put an ad in the paper. By week two, I'll have chosen three people to interview. By week three, it's nonsense. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. You'll have five people call you and they'll all be lousy. And then you'll have one person call you and they'll be absolutely perfect. You you never know. Or maybe it's the first person who's perfect. And so just go for it and go for it. I wrote a book. I don't have a copy of it right here. I wrote a book. It's my only hardcover bestseller. Double your income, doing what you love. Double your income, doing what you love. And I teach in there, just go for it. Write goals and go for it. In fact, I'm going to give... A copy of that book for free. Would you like that? I was yes. just going to hold a <laughs> copy, but I not have one here. If you just go to my main website, aaron.com, A R O N.com, at the very top is a free download, instant download of my book, Double Your Income Doing What You Love. Go get it. It's free. You can buy it on Amazon if you want, but get it for free. Yeah. Thank and you. enjoy it. Yeah. And don't just download it, actually read it just because it's free. And you download it. That's not a value. Just make a commitment to read it. And I mean, it's been a really good seller for 15
0: years now. Yeah, you got to, your listeners can have it for free. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond, for that gift. And earlier you said, right, about the book itself, right? Double your income while doing what you love. And earlier you said that your day now, you do only what you love. Uh, you don't have any obligations in our way. Can you... Share that journey from 39 years old when you realized that. How has that journey been to creating a life or designing a life where you don't have to do anything you you hate or you don't want to do? I think that's everybody's dream.
1: Yes, here's how it works. First of all, you have to identify what you love. Even to the tiniest level, you love this, you don't love that. And then you organize your life around that. So, for example, I have a rule that everything has to serve me. I don't want to serve anything. I don't mean clients. I mean like furniture or cars. So I dislike going to a gas station and having to shell up a car. I don't want it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to be the servant of my car. And so i bought a Tesla and every night I plug it in and I have a full tank the next morning, a full tank of batteries and. For example, whenever my wife and I are shopping for furniture, I always ask, Tell me about the upkeep of this. Oh, you have to do this and you have to do that. You have to spray it every three years. I still don't want it. So if there's nothing around me that I have to service, it all services me. And I remember the first time I went to see my girlfriend, who's now my wife, first time I saw her home, I sat in a chair, a wooden chair. And it had leather, like armrest. It was attached at the back and at the front, and it was a, like a bridge, like a footbridge. And I had my hands on it, and then she said, "Okay, let's go." I pushed down on the leather in order to stand up, and I broke both of them because they're not designed to be pushed down on by my entire weight. And she got all upset at me, and I said, "I don't want that chair. I don't want anything that I have to remember. Don't push down on it." So I construct my entire life so that I don't have to do anything that I don't like. Because if there's, you might say, oh, Raymond, so you have a chair that has leather and you just have to remember, don't push down on it when you stand up. Yeah. But the problem is if I allow that, then I'll allow 20 or 50 or hundred things that I have to suddenly be aware of. And the more things that I have to keep in my mind, the more my mind is distraught and the less I'm clear. And most people have their lives filled with crap they have to take care of, crap that they have to think about constantly. And I don't. I don't. That's just in my home. But in business, it's exactly the same. I'm really clever at what I do, but I'm not interested in bookkeeping. So people say, oh, just get QuickBooks. No, thank you. I don't want to do bookkeeping. So I have a bookkeeper and I have an accountant. And? When I invite people to join my book writing program, I teach people how to write a book so they can be branded and make more money and help lots more people. I'm not the coach that helps them. I've hired some coaches and the coaches help them through the work. And so I, what I love, and this is very important. I want to make sure your readers understand this. It's not that I'm elitist and I think, oh, oh I'm just too goody to do these lower level jobs. No, it's not that at all. I do what I love and I hire other people who love to do the things that I don't love to do. There's lots of people in the world who love to help other people write their books. So I train them on how to write a book. They go through my program, I answer all their questions and I train them on how to help other people and they love to do it. I have several staff members who love to help other people get their book done. And at the official book launch, They're there and they're so proud of their student. And so I do what I love. I create programs and I teach and everyone around me does what they love. So it's not that I get rid of Joe jobs that I don't like. It's I do what I love and I find people who love to do the things that I don't love. And now I'm surrounded by people who love what they do and do fabulous jobs and wake up at four in the morning saying, oh my gosh, did I get this ready for Raymond's next trip? I love that because they're so dedicated and keen. And you just have to make the decision that you're going to do it. And Mm -hmm. most people make the decision that if they delegate anything, it's a waste of money. Why should I delegate it to somebody? I can do it myself. If you do that, you are imprisoned. You are imprisoned in a lifetime of doing everything yourself and having a very small life. If you do everything yourself, you're imprisoned in a low-income life of doing every single thing yourself, even the things you don't like, and you'll have a lousy, small, low-income life. Thank you. Here's why. Yeah. You'll like this, summit. Here's one of my rules. If you don't have an assistant, you are one.
0: Yeah. yeah I think that's a good way to, to put it. Yeah, And also about everything which you shared. Do the stuff or do what you do owns you or do you own it? Because in the end, yeah. everything which you buy or which you engage in, you engage in for some purpose, right? And if that itself is causing you, like stopping you in some way or restricting you in some way, then what's the point? Do the money own you? Do the stuff own you or do you own it? And do you have the freedom to use it like a tool when you want to and, and delegate when you don't want to? In business
1: and in your personal life. For example, I don't like to vacuum because I don't like the noise. So even when I'm in a hotel and the cleaning staff comes in and I say, please don't vacuum. Like even when it's free, I don't want it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to hear the noise. I'm not interested. And so my wife complains that she has to do all the vacuuming, even though she has a job. So I said, fine. So go buy a vacuum robot. And she did just a few days ago. And I can hear it in the background. This robot goes all around our home cleaning everything and it knows where to go and it never falls downstairs. It's hilarious. And our cat, we were worried that our cat would freak out, but the cat just stares at it and follows it around. <laughs> it's a very funny thing. And all we do is we pick it up, put it on the second floor, pick it up, put it on the third floor. And it just goes around cleaning. It's a robot. It's hilarious. So yeah. that's how I lead my life. And it's not that expensive. And what it does is freeze me up. Now, it frees me up to do what? Maybe it frees me up just to watch a movie or to go for a walk in the woods but sometimes it frees me up to come up with an idea and that idea might turn into a product and that product might earn me millions of dollars a year.
0: Yeah, thank you. Can you share a little bit about like when you were broke, right, to where you are today? How has that journey been? Because this requires a certain level of flexibility, right? That I don't want to do this, so I hire somebody. But when you're broke, when you are your own, or when somebody that says, there is a business owner who is struggling with the finances how would you have this message make sense to them in that state of overwhelm or like feeling like i'm being trapped you can feel like being trapped and everything is like happening to you how what has been your journey and what advice would you give to anybody who is there
1: once you set your sights on it summit the spiritual universe moves the physical universe out of the way and you get what you want you might be walking down the street and you'll see a printer that someone has thrown out and you take it home, plug it in. It worked perfectly, but they didn't want it or they bought a new one. You think those are impossible, but they happen. My sister was at her home yesterday and she told me that just happened to her. They found a printer and they plugged it in and it worked perfectly. And my sister's wealthy. She doesn't have to pick up garbage, but it worked. And you can also bargain with people. Like you can say, can you please be my bookkeeper? And I'll babysit your kid twice a month or something. There's always ways to have people help you. Because you know what? People who say, oh, I could never ask somebody to help me. And I say to them, if your friend asked you to help them, would you do it? Of course I would. I would stop everything and do it. Well, then why are you so afraid to ask them for help? And once you do have the money, you can pay for it. When I started teaching, I told you I was completely broke, $100,000 in debt, and I didn't have a car. So I was teaching people how to get rich in real estate. I didn't have a car, and I was $100,000 in debt and broke. I had integrity. In other words, I did know how to make a fortune in real estate, but I had just lost it, just recently lost it in the divorce. So I would take public transit to the hotel. I would get there two hours early to make sure nobody saw me. And I would have all my handouts in a plastic bag. I didn't even have a briefcase. And I would get there early so nobody saw me. And then eventually I would make money from the tuitions and from the books that they would buy. And then I would be able to hire people to sit at the back of the room. Like at the beginning, I would say, when I was totally broke, but giving courses, I would say, Now, here's a book that I think you should get. And I would hold up a book and it does this and this It's very good. And I'm calling a break right now. And you should buy this book at this break, but don't buy it instantly. Give me five seconds to run to the back and get there first. And everybody would laugh. And then I would run to the back and I would be the bookseller. And then when the break is over, I'd be the teacher. And everybody laughed. I made it work. Yes, I did everything. And I didn't delegate anything because I didn't have any money. But then... I delegated to gals sitting at the back to take care of the book sales and to register people when they came in. And that freed me to be a better teacher because I didn't, because I can actually take a break at the break instead of selling books. And so what I originally thought of as an expense, like hiring these people at the back, became a gigantic freedom. Either I just took a break or I might have gotten an idea or somebody asked me a question at the break and I say, wow. What a great question. I should incorporate that into my course forever. But if I was selling books, I couldn't do that. Barter, beg, whatever you have to do uh, initially. And as soon as you can afford it, pay for it. Yeah, And you'll be amazed in how you flower. For example, the president of the United States. How can he run the United States? Why? Because he's got a civil servant population. I don't know, 10 million civil servants. 10 people, 10 million people working for the government. The president can't run the company, the country single-handedly. And you look at Elon Musk, he's got like 50,000 employees. Why? Cause he can't personally send rockets into space and build electric cars and build robots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, once again, I'm taking away two things from, uh, from what you shared. One is right when you're starting and we don't have those resources. First of all, be, let your commitment speak, let your commitment be very clear, and don't let that waver, and then do what is required in that moment, right, as you gave your example. That's wonderful. And the second is as soon as you have that opportunity, then everybody has twenty four hours in the day, then that's a equalizer, right? And people can sometimes get demotivated that I can't have more than twenty four hours. but I always see that as a liberating thought. That the president cannot have more than 24 hours. That means that the president and I am equal in some way. And then it's about certain skill. It could be a skill of delegating. It could be a skill of dealing with those like millions of civil servants, thousands of employees. But at the same time, they are not superhuman, right? And uh, the moment then you can actually increase time impact your income, your value, without letting the 24 hours become a barrier or without wanting to do everything or fill every gap. Amit, can I just say, I just thought of
1: this as you were talking. I don't think it's true that everybody has 24 hours. And let me give you an example. If I want something done, let's say I want some research done for my next book. Like how many times has this happened? Or I don't know what percent of people smoke today versus what percent of people smoked it the end of the second world war, I could either spend an hour doing the research or I can send a text to my researcher. Well, that means I get 25 hours that day because that hour I didn't have to do, it got done for me. And that means Elon Musk has tens of thousands of hours a day because so many people are doing things for him. I never thought of that idea. I'm going to incorporate that in my speeches. Not true that everyone has 24 hours a
0: day. That's wonderful because this idea changes the context. When you see the world as 24 hours a day, you only think, how can I do more? That's the only thing. How can I cram in more? How can I sleep less? But when you expand that that way, there is no limit. You can continuously expand by making requests, by delegating, by hiring people, by partnerships, collaborations, then time stops becoming a barrier, right? So
1: <laughs> Summit, you and I have created a new idea. Maybe we should f- a website, more than twenty four
0: hoursaday.com. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, and I think this is this is directly live at play, what you what we were just talking about a while earlier, that how we can be intentional, how can we be ambitious, but be open for spontaneity at the same time, open for receiving something which would be even better. Yes. We tend to put ourselves on the pedestal of our ideas and try to make us super smart. But if we don't miss that, maybe there is something better waiting for us.
1: <laughs> I'm really enjoying this interview. You're a very good interviewer and you're lighthearted and fun, and you listen, you're a great interviewer. I'm honored to be interviewed by you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. I am totally honored and blessed by having this conversation. Tell me something which most people don't know about you.
1: Aha! (laughs) I am crazy. I am completely crazy. If there's an opportunity to do something weird, I jump at it. For example, one day I decided I want to ride a unicycle. I'd only seen it in circuses. I didn't even think it was possible for ordinary people. And I signed up for a course and I practiced every evening and every weekend for a year, falling thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And finally, I can do it. I, in my 40s, I learned how to ride a unicycle. And then, uncontent with that, I decided as soon as I could ride it, that I wanted to ride a five foot tall giraffe unicycle, and now I can ride that. And somebody challenged me to race to the North pole. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I joined a, there was a, a, a race called polar race. It's a 350 mile month long foot race to the North pole. Hauling a hundred-pound sled with all the provisions at minus 40 degrees, dodging polar bears. And I did it. And I trained one hour to 10 hours of the day for two years to get into shape. And then the race day came. It was the starting line was Resolute Bay, which is the northernmost human settlement in North America. And then from there went 350 miles due north to the North Pole. And I did it. I'm now one of the very few people in the whole world that has ever stood at the North Pole by his own efforts.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, inspirational. That, that, that leads me to a follow-up question. So you are crazy. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you are crazy. But at the same time, how do people react to that? And how do you deal with that reaction? Because sometimes those reactions can put you in a different bucket. This is not for me. maybe Damon can do that, but I can't do that. How do you deal with that?
1: What I've learned is to not care about other people's opinion of them. I'm just not interested. If they say, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You can do all these things. Thank you. They think you're crazy. I don't like you any longer. You're too risky. Okay. I just, I'm not interested. It's not that I don't care about people's feelings. Like I don't want to tell a joke that's an anti-lawyer joke and there's a lawyer in the audience. I don't do that. I don't intentionally try to hurt people, but I don't care what their opinion of me is. I'm not interested. And my wife is very cognizant of other people's feelings. She really is aware of the emotional landscape. And so she hesitates before she does things because she worries that it may not be liked by others. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's wonderful. There should be people of right across the whole range. There should be people who are very careful of other people's feelings and there should be people who couldn't care less and just go on and do what the heck they like in their life. And she and I found each other because one of the things that I've learned about marriage is you seek your opposite. You seek to fill your holes. So if I am not really interested in people's feelings, then I need someone to guide me who does notice other people's feelings. And if she is stopped by overthinking what other people might think, then she needs to find somebody who can just go off and do things to help her. So we help each other in that way. <laughs>
0: you, you form a good team. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, that's so relevant, right? Because when we, first of all, you said that there's no right and wrong way. It's not that you have the answer to the 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 solutions and uh, that's uh, so relevant because it takes away so much of the heaviness of finding the right answer and then especially when you work with people you can be flexible and complementary to each other rather than saying this is my way and then we don't meet each other which which, uh, rather than creating a team you just create uh, like just a group of people who think who do the same thing and that leaves out a lot of possibilities and you know you can't be
1: over-concerned about how other people feel. If you're a salesman, I'm a salesman, I'll stand up on stage and I'll offer a program like I'll offer to teach you how to write a book and therefore brand yourself and dramatically increase your income and your reach and be able to help many more people. 20% of the room will say yes, they'll go to the back table and they'll buy and 80% will walk out. Well, I have to not care about the 80% who walk out. Otherwise, I'll never give a sales speech again in my life more people will walk out and will enroll like nobody. People typically get a 10% closing or a 20% closing. And that means 90 to 80% of the people don't resonate with it. Don't want it, say, thank you, goodbye, not interested. So it makes me a great salesman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is so powerful because you have that choice, right? A lot of people missed that. So when you were talking about, in news earlier, it's so easy to focus our attention on what is not working, on the 80%, 90%. But at the same time, it is our choice to look for that one person who is cheering for it and look for those 10 per- 10% who are buying or who are our loyal customers. Because every second, we, we pay attention to what we not care about. We are actually, in a way, not taking care of what we care about. And that's a huge paradox, right? It reveals a lot of irony, but people do it all the time. Yes. So just to make
1: sure that your listeners don't think that I think that I'm right. My wife's wrong. Sometimes my, my, my daring or my cavalier nature, I'll say something which actually will upset somebody because I don't think about other people's feelings as much as my wife. So sometimes I get into trouble and sometimes my wife will get into trouble. She'll get some negative feedback from one person. There'll be a hundred people in the audience One person will say something negative and she'll say, oh no, the whole thing was a disaster. Meanwhile, 99 people loved her. One person didn't. And she thinks the whole thing is a disaster. (laughs) And if I, if I talk to a hundred people and 20 people buy my product and 80 people walk out, I say, yay, that's a big success. And so it's just different ways of looking at life. And I can't change who I am. She can't change who she is that we work together and we notice the strengths that
0: the other has. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And before before we close, one last question. Since you mentioned so much about how good or how perfect your life is, and again, like perfect really in double quotes, but what's next for you, right? you have written so many books. What keeps you going? How would you answer that for anybody who is listening and for yourself as well, maybe?
1: I don't know that you're going to like this answer. I think, People might think that I'm a a big shot or I'm boasting, but I've worked very hard as a professional speaker, flying around the world, giving 5,000 speeches. And I've used my creativity so well, getting an idea and then developing it into a course and then selling it successfully that I'm now at a point in my life where it's wonderful. I have, lots of net worth. I have lots of income. I'm 78 years old and yet I'm completely healthy. I have the most delicious loving marriage. My two daughters love me. My two granddaughters love me, my staff. Listen to this. I have a small staff of 10 people and three of us have been working together for over 25 years. It doesn't happen these days. I also have a hundred thousand people on my database, either prospects or clients who all love me. And so I'm healthy. I'm surrounded by love. I'm surrounded by income and net worth. I fled the city during the lockdown and I live, you can see the log cabin behind me, I live in a three-story luxury log cabin with two indoor saunas. Like when I say to my wife, do you want to have a sauna? We say, which one? We have two for some reason. I don't know why. And we have an outdoor hot tub. We've got our own river with a waterfall. Deer come to visit us. I'm just so happy. And everything is working so well. I can't think of a goal. I just, it's not that I'm afraid of dying. It's that I'm afraid the next lifetime is not going to be as good as this one. I want to keep this one going as long as I can. And so I understand your question. And most people can answer it. They tell you what the next thing is for them. They want to give a speech to a million people instead of 20,000 or whatever their issue is. I'm just in love with where I am. It's so wonderful. I spend all my day teaching or creating products. For example, right now, I'm, I'm writing a book, Jack Canfield. It's called book on wow. And here's the manuscript. I'm writing it right now. And so pretty soon Jack Canfield can see it says the wow book. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's the next thing for me, but it's really just creating another educational product. And when it's published, then Jack Canfield and I will probably do a world tour and that'll be fun. That'll be different and it'll be fun, but it's just, it's the same thing I've been doing, creating educational products and giving speeches. So that's something, it's something new, but mostly I'm so happy where I am. I'm so happy and I don't think anyone you ever interviewed Will ever have the courage to say that?
0: Thank you, Raymond, for sharing that, for giving us a glimpse into your life, and also the last bit, right? Because when I ask a question, the question has baked in expecting and then an answer has baked in judgments, which come with it. And I want everybody who is listening to to really listen from a place of openness and without judgment, and to see that there is no right and wrong way. Right? There's don't necessarily have to be more ambitious. More is not always better. And what, what you are telling us, Raymond, or what you're showing us rather than telling us is that you can create your own definition of what is enough, right? And if you are satisfied, happy where you are, then there is nobody else who can dictate you to, like nobody else's judgment can impact you unless you let it impact yourself. And you are, you have that choice, right? You have that freedom to really say this is perfect. And then nobody, and this is your definition of perfect, doesn't have to agree with others. And it's so easy to judge. It's so easy to judge, but it's so difficult to receive it just as it is, right? Without adding anything over that. And that's, I think that's a blessing. That's a gift that anybody who is listening to this will will take away from this. Uh, thank you. One of,
1: my, one of my friends, Jack Panfield, who was the star of the movie, The Secret, and he was the co-creator of the entire Chicken Soup with the Soul series of books. He's said publicly that he's, his net worth is $20 million and he doesn't feel comfortable. And he doesn't want to retire until his net worth is $30 million. I don't see any difference. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any difference. I already earn millions a year, occasionally millions in a month. And my net worth is high, I'm happy, I'm just so happy. And I want to leave your audience with the, my favorite quotation: "Snowmen fall to Earth unassemble. Snowmen fall to Earth on And what that means to me is, all of the amazing inventions and ideas are what you build with the snowflakes of life. But most people, when they see snowflakes, they just see snowflakes. They don't have any imagination or they see negative things. Like they'll see that they hurt their back shoveling the driveway or something. And when you can see through the snowflakes to the incredible snowmen that you could create, businesses that you could create, then you have the imagination and the magic to create whatever life you wish.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm going to expend, I think the next many days reflecting over it because there's so many lessons, so many insights, which would be relevant for my own life. And I think for everybody who is listening. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for everything that you shared today.
1: I'm glad I could add to your long list of interviews. And I'm also happy that I thought of giving away my book that I just happened to mention double your income, doing what you love. Buy it on Amazon if you wish or get it for free from Aaron.com. A-R-O-N.com. No charge. Just click on the link, download it. It's yours.
0: Thank you. Thank you once again. And I wish you all the best for everything which lies ahead.
1: And you too, Summit. I've really enjoyed this interview. You're, You're fun and interesting and deep. You got it all. I love how good an interviewer you are.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Raymond, for saying that. I take that in fully. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions this is what i do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.